Yeah, g'day, and thanks for joining me on the third edition of The Point Podcast. Now, I've moved back to Sydney, so we can expect some more frequent uh, podcasts on here. I've already had another one done, so I'll release that in the next couple of weeks as well. But today's guest is Dr. Ben Yonker, that's with a J. Ben is a neurosurgeon who's worked across the world, and when I say that, I'm really just talking about US, Canada, and in Sydney, Australia. He, you know... He's a neurosurgeon. So what does he do? He cuts into brains. He performs radio surgery as well. But I was more interested in what it's like, I guess, as a human to be responsible for working on someone's brain. It's pretty scary stuff when you think about it. You know, what if he had a cold or a hangover? How does he perform surgery? You know, how does he make sure he's mentally prepared, good to go? Does he listen to some music while he's in there or before to warm up and to prepare? And how does he handle all that pressure of being in charge of someone's brain? You know, it it doesn't just affect the patient, I guess, but their families, their friends, their loved ones, everyone, hundreds of people are really counting on his hands to do the business. Um, I guess, yeah, he also revealed in this one why he thinks some neurosurgeons take too many risks when operating. That's a pretty scary thought. It's all pretty interesting stuff and some of it actually blew my mind. Ben, uh, he was my neurosurgeon actually. I had a non-cancerous brain tumor, so he was kind enough to sit down with me. Nice of him. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, the third edition of The Point Podcast. All right, doctor. Jared. That's what I should call you, Dr. Ben Yonker. Dr. Ben. You can call me that. You can call me either of the above. Call me Ben. All right, I'll make it up as I go along. Um, Well, thanks for having us first off uh, into your lovely office. I was saying before, it looks a bit like a tech startup. It's not your your normal doctor's office, is it? No, it's uh, it's a pretty cool place. It's been like this for a while. I've been here for about six years, and uh, it's a great place to work, though. All right, we're in here during the week. Before we get into everything that you do, and I'd just like to know what a typical week looks like for you. I'm sure none are exactly the same, but what, what could we say is a Monday to Friday for you? Yeah, so a typical week involves some operating, some consulting with patients in the office, some meetings type things and and some research hopefully on on an average week. So for example, I I typically operate about two to two and a half full days per week. Yeah. So every Monday and most Thursdays, for example, I'm operating. Every second Friday I'm operating. And then on the other days I have things like seeing patients uh, going out to Orange once a month, yeah. uh, and um, and meetings where we talk about you know different patients with brain tumors and what we need to do as a group, and then the occasional administrative meeting as well. Yeah. Do you get a do you get a weekend like the yeah, average I get, punter? I I get a weekend, but I I would almost always do a ward round on a Saturday, and I sometimes do a ward round on a Sunday. Uh, I'm on call a certain proportion of the weekends, often around one in four or one in five weekends. I'm on call, and when I'm on call, I might be there even more often. And of course, in, in, in our kind of work, even when you're not on call, if a patient that you know and, and have looked after turns up with some sort of a problem, even if it's a weekend, you typically look after them as well. So yeah. you're sort of, sort of on call all the time in a way, but, um, but you're really on call for the hospital one in four or five. Yeah. So it's common maybe not to have a single day where you're not doing anything work-related? Most Sundays I don't. Yeah. do anything work-related, but I might still take a phone call or two, Yeah, but yeah, most Sundays I won't do something work-related. What are you doing on a Sunday? Oh, uh, you know. I don't. With, with, the, <laughs> with the family, yeah. you know, we go to church on a Sunday morning, oh, yeah. and uh, and we uh, usually have lunch somewhere and uh, and hang out and try and enjoy the day. Yeah, so, right. Wife yeah. and kids? Or? Yeah, I've got three boys who are 
sort of young school age boys and yep. uh, and wife. Yeah, I suppose that'll keep you occupied yeah. and not worrying about what's going on Monday. Yeah, Saturday. yeah. No, and no, I usually have a very full operating list on a Monday, but um, I try not to think about it too much while I'm on Sunday. All right, I don't blame you. We'll talk about what you actually do. So you're a neurosurgeon who specialises in stereotactic and functional neurosurgery. Correct. Can you explain that as best you can in layman's terms? Yeah, so um, so a lot of people in neurosurgery and in other medical specialties these days will have a particular area of interest that they, um, that they want to spend uh, a significant amount of their time doing and that they might have gone overseas to, to train in how mm. to do. Stereotactic and functional neurosurgery is sort of a mixture of a few different things. So stereotactic has to do with localizing things in the brain in three dimensions, often in relation to a head frame that you might put on the brain. And so one of the big parts of what I do with that is I put electrodes into the brain for people with Parkinson's disease or tremor or other movement disorders to treat those conditions. Uh, So that's a significant part of that. We also do focused radiation for brain tumours. Yep, know all uh, about that. Which is, yeah, part of stereotactic and functional neurosurgery. Uh, and then we treat uh, epilepsy with yep. operations to fix epilepsy. And also pain conditions, some of them are sort of under that bracket of stereotactic and functional. So there's a particular pain condition called trigeminal neuralgia, which is a face pain condition that I have right. a particular interest in that, that I treat as part of that. Okay, right. So all very complex stuff. And then there's open surgery included in part of that? Yeah, so, yeah. so um, for example, the trigeminal neuralgia yeah. operation, the main operation is a microsurgical operation uh, on the little nerve that's coming out of the brainstem. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, some, of the op- some of the things like the stereotactic radiosurgery is completely, uh, doesn't involve a cut on the head and, yeah. and is completely non-surgical in that sense. The deep brain stimulation uh, is surgical, but it's all done through little holes in the brain right, okay. passing the electrodes in so it's surgical but it's it's uh, somewhere in between an open operation and a and a, and stereotactic radiosurgery yeah okay now neurosurgery people hear that and they, they think it's just brains the common person I, I mentioned to a couple of people about this interview so it deals with brains but it's a whole lot more than that isn't it yeah well neurosurgeons in general deal with brain problems spine problems yeah. and peripheral nerve problems but yeah. various neurosurgeons might choose to specialize in yeah one or more of those areas. Spine problems in the community are common, and so that forms a significant amount of what neurosurgeons do uh, in general. Um, uh, but, you know, in my personal practice is more centred towards brain surgery. Yeah, okay. Now tell me, you're a young bloke, you're at school, and maybe you started uni. At what point did you think, brains are for me? That's what I want to focus on. Yeah, so look, um, I think you're influenced by the people that you come across and I was a medical student at Royal North Shore in Sydney and um, there there seemed to be, as I recall it, a lot of people who were a little bit disillusioned by medicine in the 90s and so a lot of people would tell you when you're a medical student, oh, why don't you get out now while you still can, it's not the profession it used to be and, and so forth and then I went and did a neurosurgery attachment in my fourth year of of my six years of medical school and uh, the the guys that were there as neurosurgeons seemed incredibly enthusiastic about what they right. did and and I now know that that's in part the personality of the particular people involved yeah. but the fact that they were so interested in what they did made me think it must be really interesting and, and as soon as I started uh, I suppose reading about it and seeing what they were doing I immediately became sort of hooked and so I sort of decided when I was in my fourth year of medical school that that's what I wanted to do. Alright, now what is it about their personality 
you thought now that you know that you've been here for a long time in this industry, what is it about their personality that makes them enjoy it and makes them want to do it compared to those other areas of medicine? It's difficult to answer that question. I think some people some people are innately more enthusiastic about things that they find interesting. Yeah. So it's not it's not just the subject yeah. matter that made them enthusiastic. It's also yeah. them yeah, as that's just, yeah. just what they were like. Well, what do you think it is about that course and that attracted that kind of person that's an enthusiastic? Yeah. Well, look, I think you know there is a certain sense in which neurosurgery is not the easiest road to choose. There are yeah. other things that have less demands on your personal life and yeah. and and uh and are less demanding to train in and all of that sort of stuff so i think i think a person who does neurosurgery generally is somebody who's pretty interested in yeah. in the topic matter and cause you are dealing with very interesting things in yeah. neurosurgery so you do get to do some amazing things yeah. and um and so i think that um you know i guess people who are looking for the shortest and easiest path to success don't necessarily yeah. choose neurosurgery yeah would you say there's a common characteristic amongst neurosurgeons well that's um that's a that's an interesting question um i i think um i've sometimes pondered and this is not necessarily a positive comment um yeah. but i've sometimes pondered whether or not um uh you know i worry that sometimes neurosurgery might be at risk of attracting people who are innately more comfortable with the possibility of causing harm to other human beings by nature uh -huh. of the yeah. you know significant things that things that you do. Um, so they enjoy so the risk. Let's, you think? let's say let's say I don't think that the the really thin-skinned kind of um, person who's who's really anxious uh, about everything that they do yeah. in relation to treating a patient is going to pick yeah, neurosurgery right. because the reality is that there are going to be uh, difficult situations mm. that you may cause or, or have to deal with in, in your patients. So mm. I do sometimes do sometimes wonder about that. I mean, there's been, you know, um, so, but I think for the most part, yeah. despite what I say, I mean, look, does, do you think they take, they, they have risky behaviours as part of their personality? They enjoy that? Well, Even look, outside I, I of neurosurgery? Think, look, I, I think it would be fair to say that there are neurosurgeons who who do enjoy taking risk yeah. to some okay. to some extent. That's part of why what makes them tick. I think that's probably fair to say. But I also think there are a lot of neurosurgeons that don't fit that description as well. Yeah, which one are you? Uh, I'm not inherently much of a, much of a. I don't take much enjoyment from taking risks. Okay, that's so. that's good to hear. As my neurosurgeon. Um, <laughs> Tell me the process of becoming a neurosurgeon. So you went to university. You mentioned your fourth year you did an elective type subject that you liked it. What did you have to do after that? And I imagine you're still studying to this day. Yeah, so, so I finished my six years of university. Um, because I was interested in neurosurgery, I actually wrote a couple of, of uh, articles for neurosurgical journals under a, mm. couple of neuro, under a neurosurgeon at North Shore when I was uh, there. And then, um, and then you become an intern and a resident, and you do some general rotations around different medical and surgical specialties, including nearly six months I spent in Bathurst, actually, as, well, a, as a resident, which I really enjoyed. Charles Sturt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it was actually at the Bathurst Base Hospital as a, oh, as right. a resident. Okay. So Have working any, out there. Any good dealings with uni students out there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I did, but it was a very positive place yeah. to work, okay. actually. 
Um, and then the following year, so after a couple of general years as a junior doctor, I became what's called an unaccredited neurosurgical registrar, which means that you are somebody who's doing just neurosurgery at this point in time, but you're not yet in the official training program for neurosurgery. Okay. And I was lucky enough to get straight on that year to the neurosurgery training program. So the following year, I started my neurosurgery training, which was five years in those days. Um, it's now six years, but it's five years of neurosurgery training. Yeah. And then at the end of that, I also went overseas to Canada and the US over the course of a bit under a year for um, the year after that. More training. You, you met, so that's you, when I did the stereotactic and functional okay. sort of subspecialty. Yeah, yeah. okay. So yeah. You, you mentioned you were working in neurosurgery before you got into the course to do the training? Yeah, that's right. So, it seems strange. Well, no, that's, that's the way it works, you know, because there is a certain sense in which it's partially a... Um, an apprenticeship yeah, model right. in in training, yeah, and uh, and so year by year you're constantly being given additional responsibility over time to do more and more complex things. So even before you start being officially a trainee in neurosurgery, you've usually done quite a number of of operations and and some of them even independently. Yeah. Um, by that point in time, for simple, straightforward types yeah. of operations. All right. And that's good because, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you need to work out whether sort of you're a, um, whether neurosurgery is a good fit for you and kind of whether you're a good fit for neurosurgery. I mean, nothing really predicts how you're going to do in a job more than how you already did in the, in the same job. Yeah. Um, saying you want to be a neurosurgeon doesn't predict that you necessarily will be good at it or that you'll enjoy it. You know, you actually have to have some experience of what it involves. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I actually took a year off my training. So I took six years to do my five years of training because I took a year off, uh, you know, because I got in so quickly, I wasn't still 100% certain that I hadn't just taken the conveyor belt from yeah. from university into neurosurgical training and and, uh, and I sort of took a year off and, and did what? Got married and went traveling around Europe and Africa and stuff like wow. that and... and, uh, and then came back to neurosurgery training. Yeah, and what was it about your time over there? Do you think that you thought, yeah, that's for me. That's what I want to actually, keep doing. Actually, I just had, I think I'd felt that I'd been really under pressure for the last few years. And it was actually almost before I even stopped working, once I said I was going to stop working, that I knew I would come back to it. And certainly within a week or two of stopping working, I knew I was going to come yeah. back to it. So I think I just needed a break, right. really, okay. in, the, in the end. And I had very, you know, some of the same people that I was mentioning before at North Shore, uh, which is where I was at the time that I decided I, I wanted to stop for a while. Um, you know, they actively suggested to me, um, you know, oh, well, why don't you just take a break and, and come back to neurosurgery and, and uh, were very positive and supportive, yeah. so that helped. All right. And you haven't regretted it since you got into the field? No, not at all. In fact, uh, you know, uh, I actually feel very fortunate to have the job that I do and I feel... Um, and I feel that um, I feel very fortunate having ended up with doing such interesting things and and um, and things that um, you know are both interesting can help people you know it's it's a it's a good it's a good field. Mm. Do you ever so. doubt your skills? Do you, do you still wake up and doubt yourself in any not maybe not your skills but how well prepared you are for that day or whether you can handle actually doing such complex things every single day? Because I imagine you have to be really turned on every time. I think um, uh, I think there are some days that weigh more heavily on you than other yeah. days. Like you, you wake up knowing I've got a really big day today, and yeah. and um, and you want everything to go 
uh, really well. I don't know. I don't, it's not so much a, a self doubt as a as a um, as a you know. I think at the end of the day, we all make decisions about what kind of conditions we treat as well. So there are some mm-hmm. neurosurgical conditions that are not in my interest and that I don't treat, mm-hmm. and so I pass them on. So it's not not common. It, it's not, it doesn't usually happen that I'm doing something that I don't feel comfortable. I'm, confident doing yeah. it, but some things are more uh more stressful perhaps than than others all right is it is it more than a job to you do you feel like it's kind of a duty now that you've got this ability to to fix people that you kind of have to do it now uh i think there's definitely a sense in which like i see it as a bit of a vocation and that that you can't live your life just doing it under your own terms of I want to be a neurosurgeon but I want my life to look like this and everything to run like this I think to some extent you have to make yourself subject to the fact that you've chosen something demanding where your patients might have problems sometimes in the middle of the night sometimes at other Mm -hmm. times and and that's just what you're going to do and I think if if you if you worry too much about whether it fits in with you know and and I'm fortunate because I've got um you know I've got a wife who sort of is happy for that for me to take on a job that is inherently unpredictable and yeah. and 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 helps with that and 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 so forth so um but yeah i think i think you just have i just think it would be unsatisfying to always try and you know it wouldn't be right to try and pigeonhole it into just i'm going to just do this job and it's going to be under the circumstances that i define yeah. you've just got to let it you've got to make yourself subject mm. To some extent, to your patients and their needs at various times of the day and night, yeah. and that's probably so, something you di- you didn't consider when you started. You didn't. You don't think about. Well, I didn't think that much about yeah. about those those sorts of things. You don't. I don't think. I don't think. Well, I can only speak for myself. I don't think that in those early days you have much of a concept of what it means to live the life of a surgeon or a physician or a psychiatrist or any of the different mm. specialties. You don't think about the effects on social life you just for me i was just thinking about what do i find interesting yeah uh, and it just and, and i did believe then and that, that is if you chose something that you found interesting you know that old saying that if you do something that's interesting you won't have to work a day of your life yeah i sort of believe that if i chose something interesting then i wouldn't be counting the minutes until i could finish my job and go home and do other things as yep. well and i think there's some truth to that but at the end of the day you know, all jobs have an element of being a job as well. Yeah, so do you, so. Do, you, do you still get the Sunday blues? It's a Sunday late and you think, I don't really feel like going to work tomorrow. I don't get that very often, actually. I used to get that as a registrar, I must say. Yeah. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't get that very often these days. I mean, I enjoy operating and I operate on a Monday. So it's uh, so I look forward to going and, and doing my operating list usually on a Monday. Okay, now on a human level, is it hard to keep your emotions in check? And when you're generally dealing with people that need your help every day, and sometimes it's not the greatest news. Yeah, it can be, and um, some in ways that you might not expect. Some patients are more demanding than others, yeah. and um, it's not necessarily from where you sit. The ones that have the, shall we say, the biggest problems from your perspective, that are necessarily the most demanding. So that right. that can be one of the difficulties. Is is um, seeing the the patient with the you know serious brain tumor who's who's very straightforward and 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 then the next patient has what might be a comparatively much more minor problem from your perspective but they sort of 
expect much more. So there mm. is a, there is a bit of a bit of that. So and you have to you have to try and remember that everybody's problems are you know serious problems for them. You can't be the one to judge that this yeah, is okay. How, this problem is bigger than that problem or or whatever. You've got to sort of yeah. just let it be. But but yeah, you have to you have to have you have to make sure that you don't spend so much time dealing with things that you deplete your empathy reserves and yeah, right. and uh, and end up not caring about yeah. the people that you're looking after. So it's not an unlimited reserve, is it? Empathy? No, like you, no. You can you have you developed a resistance? Oh, look, I think everybody has some level of detachment and some level of um, connecting with people. Yeah. That's what that's what I think. You know, I think I think. That's what I think in neurosurgery you need a balance of. If you were completely empathic to the point that you couldn't function, yeah. that wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you were... Compl- I don't think also for a surgeon it's good to be completely about the business and no empathy either because I think then you make bad decisions for people and you know, you're less likely to understand why you need to be there at some particular hour of the day or not. Yeah, when you say people are demanding, what kind of things would a patient want that some others wouldn't? Um, unfortunately, um, hard though it is to say, medicine doesn't have all of the answers for all of the problems that people face. And um, uh, let's just say, um, let's just say there was a patient with a benign brain tumor that was making them dizzy or giving them ringing in their ear mm. you might be able to deal with that benign brain tumor but you may not necessarily be able to stop them from being dizzy or having the ringing yeah, in their okay. ear um, and so there are limits and, and it's about making sure that their expectations about what the treatment can do for them mm. is the same as your expectation right okay and if they say that's not good enough I need that ringing in my ear to stop but you don't have a treatment that that can do that well, where are you? You've where do you just go? Got, yeah, you know, you've just got to say, "I'm sorry." There's only we can only do what we can do. Okay, okay, that makes sense. It'd be tough. Mm. All this sounds tough. Now, do you need to make sure that you're fully energized, attentive before you go into surgery on a Monday? Like, do you have a ritual to make sure I'm on? Like, I can't be twitching. I can't have had too many coffees. Like, is there a process for you? I don't have a specific ritual. I must say, I think, um, I think it's good not to be too worked up about something you know yeah. so I try not to um, you know one of the problems we face in the public health system is the pressure of beds yeah and so for example where I work is actually really good we very very infrequently cancel somebody because of a lack of a bed whereas right. other places I've worked in the past it's been far more common for that to happen but I don't want to be worrying about whether there's a bed for my patient or not my, so that's third, just another my second obstacle. or third patient of the day yeah. I, I just don't even want to hear about yeah. there's a problem at the start of the day because I don't I, I just it'll get me sort of worked potentially up. worked up and, and would I'd that just, have a negative effect well not a measurable one but yeah. it would I, I think it's just better to to try and stay relaxed so I'd prefer to sort of uh, which you know ultimately you know we generally get the operations done um, uh, but sometimes behind the scenes, the registrar has moved heaven and earth to actually materialise the yeah. bed for the for the next patient. You know, yeah. sometimes the patients, I'm sure, are completely unaware of how much, you know, behind the scenes work has been done to just make sure that their operation yeah. actually happened that day and didn't get postponed to another day. Yeah. So there's no calming 
method but that you do there's no meditation there's no music there's no, no nothing I don't, I don't do any of that cool. I, I really like music and um and so i find if i listen to music i tend to concentrate on music so i've found that i don't really like listening to music right. during operations because um i find it more of a distraction i do occasionally but generally speaking i prefer to to just um concentrate on what's at hand all right what are you listening to if you do put it on well, I like jazz, and I'm aware that not everybody likes jazz, so I, also, yeah. I feel uh, that I don't want to necessarily impose my musical tastes on uh, on others, but uh, but I really like listening to jazz. Okay, so. and, and you've never had a day where you've said, "I'm not, I'm too tired," or something's happened. I'm not, I'm not doing it today. Caught it off. I have yourself. had, I have had, once that I can recall, where I was up all night with an emergency the night before, and I cancelled my operating list based on that sort of thing um but no i mean you know you feel very responsible because often the patients some of them have come many hours from to get there mm. and they've arranged their schedules and their family supports and you know relatives have taken time off work and I, so i feel very responsible if the operation gets cancelled for something trivial so i certainly wouldn't i wouldn't if i had a cold or something i wouldn't tend to cancel the yeah. operations. i just you know uh, just stick it out. Just put a mask on. Going. I mean, if I seriously thought there was something that might impair my judgment or ability, of course I would. But, but um, if it's something that I think is relatively minor, I'll just keep going. All right. Do you thought you were born with an innate act, ability to do this kind of thing, to be a doctor? Is it all to do with your study? Is it? Are you smarter than everyone? Did you work harder? I think that. Um, I think that. Um, you know, there's this. I went in, when I went into medical school. I don't want to be derogatory want, yeah. towards um, to, towards other choices, but I'd heard that that physicians were thinking doctors and surgeons were doing doctors, and and I thought I actually thought I wanted to be a physician. I thought it'd be good to be one of these really smart guys who's who's a thinking doctor. Hmm. Um, and I think they're, but I'm not I'm not so sure that medicine, you know, requires. An enormous intellect. I yeah. mean, it requires being on the ball and pattern recognition, and certainly it does re- require some in- intellect. Um, but I think it, in the end, you end up doing something that involves a very diverse set of skills. You know, the ability to look at scans and understand them, the ability to do manual tasks in an operating theatre, but equally the ability to talk to people about conditions and you know, there's a whole, and to work with teams of people, there's a whole yeah. different range of skills that you want to have some uh, ability with in order to function and, yeah. and do your job. So I, I suspect most people, many people could be trained to, to, do, uh, to, to do medicine, but, you know, not many of them might not like it if they actually did it as well. Uh-huh. What makes you want to keep doing it now? Uh, I'm... Constantly, as time goes on, I'm doing more and more of the stuff that I find especially interesting, I suppose. Yeah. And, um, and so that's good, and I, I like to yeah. keep on doing more of that, and that, that keeps me going. Um, I, do, I just enjoy it, you know. I, I, um, I do often think about, you know, like, um, I certainly think that I'm not, you know, if I suddenly was independently wealthy or something rather like that, I wouldn't stop doing my job like yeah. I, I think it's the sort of thing that I might slightly change my schedule or something but, yeah. I, I, but I, I, I like my job you know I, yeah. like, I like doing it so what would the change be to your schedule if money was an issue and you, <laughs> you feel like you had done your duty you just less days what would, what would it be what well would I, be I, I do I don't know I mean I think that um, I think that uh, 
I do it. I do sort of see patients. I work at two two campuses, and I yeah. do go back and forth between the two campuses. Yeah. Brush some, campus. Sometimes I think it would be nice to work at one campus, but I'm I'm not planning on doing that anytime yeah. in the next fifteen or twenty years because I actually <laughs> do good things at both of those campuses that that I can't do at the other, and I and I don't really want to stop it either. But but um, but I do sometimes think it would be less tiring to work to work at one place rather than two different campuses. All right. We'll finish up with a few quick fire questions. That's all right with you. Okay. Sounds good. All right. I, I want to know, Charlie Tia is the most well-known of them all. Would that be correct in Sydney, Australia? Is he revered amongst other surgeons or is there debates or is he highly looked up to by everyone? I think it's fair industry? to say Charlie's a pretty controversial figure yeah. in, in neurosurgery. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's an interesting guy. He's quite controversial. Yeah. Okay. So I'll... You don't want to give out your... Oh, look, you know, I enjoyed... I worked with him when I was a junior yeah. trainee and I um, and I enjoyed working with him. And um, But, you know, he's a controversial figure. Yeah. Everybody has different uh, perspectives on yeah. things, on risk and so forth. And uh, comes back yeah. to risk, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, a community of neurosurgeons, does that exist in Sydney? It does. Do you talk often? Yeah, it does to a certain extent. I mean, there's a national sort of community of neurosurgeons and... Then there there is a lot of there's a fair amount of um, for most people it's your department that's your primary at your hospital that's yeah, your okay. primary colleagues but mm-hmm. a lot of us talk to other people um, you know I spoke to one of the neurosurgeons from Westmead on the weekend and you know there's you know we we all sort of have various lines of communication okay if there's one thing you could change about the industry what would it be hmm I don't know what the answer is to that too many. Um, I, no, I, I mean, look, there is a risk when you have too many people doing the one specialty that the work kind of expands to fill the number of people and then maybe there's more marginal or grey area indications for surgery being undertaken. So I think there is a there is a right number, but I'm not sure that we have too many. I think, um, uh, look, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. You go to a dinner party and you tell someone what you do for a job, what's their normal reaction? Oh, uh, you know, you get the same joke usually, like you know the the uh, I guess this actually is brain surgery kind of kind of uh, jo- yeah. kind of joke a bit, um, and um, uh, you know you get that a little bit. Mostly, the people are often interested in what you do. Yeah, I would say, I try not to bore them with the details. Yeah. Do you think they get intimidated once you tell them that? Not as far as I can tell. No. Okay. Brain training, it's quite popular now. There's been TV shows about it. Do you agree with it? Do you think it works? Do you have an opinion on it? I do have an opinion. I think it's complete rubbish. Okay. Um, I think uh, I think that it's pseudoscience. And, yeah, okay. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that a neurosurgeon necessarily has uh, any more important view than anybody else on it. But I think the, the questions about these things need to look at actual what outcomes were measured, how were the groups compared. And I think that there's, there's, there's a whole sort of industry of telling people you can do this or that exercise and improve your cognition and it's 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 sort of there's no science behind it so that's a money maker yeah but people believe it probably quite genuinely but i just yeah. don't i just think it's uh, a pseudoscience all right two so. two final questions the latest i get asked this all the time the most common question my friends say can you ask him about this mobile phones and the year what's the latest research just give me it in one sentence what's the latest update still no conclusive evidence that mobile phones 
are associated with brain tumours yeah. and it would be likely, given the amount of exposure by now, that we would know if they were. Okay. That, that ruins... Actually, actually, I probably haven't m mentioned this, but Dr. Ben was my, I'd say, surgeon when I had uh, the radiotherapy uh, on a tumour. And so I tell people that, and people, the people always say, oh, be careful with your, your mobile phone. And I, I tell them a joke now, well, I'm not really worried about mobile phone. If anything, I'm giving my phone radiation. <laughs> so that's, that's fine, I say, but you can, you can use that with your friends. Um, last question, concussion in sport, the brain. I know this is a huge topic. You could talk about this for hours. But do you, do you like the fact that sport, different sports are now taking it more seriously? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think about skiing and the fact that when I was a kid, nobody wore a helmet, and now almost everybody is a helmet. I mean, that's that's more than just concussion as well. That's sort of serious head injuries. Uh, I think it's, um, uh, you know, I think it is important that people take it seriously. I think it's very important also, though, that it's, um, that it's people taking a scientific approach to studying it. I mean, it's a lot of it requires pretty well-done studies to actually work mm. out uh, what what's going on what are the actual effects that relate to um relate to the actual head injury because it's a complex uh it's a complex social and yeah. interactive kind of problem you know if, if somebody's made to sit out of participating with their team in the sport that they want to do for a period of time because they've had a head injury that has other flow-on effects as well you know so mm. so look i think it's an important science and needs to be studied by people with a really rigorous approach all right, and your favourite cuisine? Something I, I like to ask everyone. Uh, oh, look, I like uh, I do like a bit of fine dining, kind of French, kind of French Japanese sort of stuff. French Japanese fine yeah, dining. Yeah, what yeah, are yeah. what are we talking? Restaurant recommendation? Uh, look, I, I like look. Let's just say I like Japanese. So I like the there's the combination of both, but I like Japanese. So Japanese. I like sake and these sorts of places. So why do you think that is? Why, why are Japanese? I lived in Japan for a few years when I was a kid. That's part of it, maybe. And, uh, and I like uh, interesting food. <laughs> Sounds interesting to me. Dr. Ben, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you giving up your time. Still in the middle of a work day. Well, at the end of a work day, but still more to go. So thank you very much. And Pleasure. I think it's an interesting insight for people out there. Thanks, Jared. Cool.